Welcome to More to Come, PW Comics World's weekly podcast of comics and graphic novel news. Uh, this is Heidi McDonald, and uh, tonight I am recording live from uh, Stately Beat Manor because uh, we are on the phone with Matt Boers, uh, the editorial cartoonist, uh, former editor, well, no current editor of the Nib, actually. And um, uh, let's see, you are a Pulitzer Prize finalist, uh, Herb Block Award-winning cartoonist, um, several honors to your name, and uh, yeah, Matt, how's it going tonight? It's going good. I just wrapped up a day of working on this Kickstarter we're doing. Yes. Well, uh, you know, we want to get around to that. You, you are currently, uh, as we speak, doing a Kickstarter for a printed volume, collecting uh, the best of the nib. Uh, the nib was a amazing comic section that ran on Medium, and this will be a print collection, correct? Yeah. Uh, so I, I was at Medium for a little over a year and a half, and left recently. And the nib uh, comes with me, and I guess we can get into what all that means and what mm -hmm. we did there. But uh, but yeah, we're, I'm printing up a 300-page best of collection with best all the best strips that we did um like something good from almost every contributor and try uh, we're, we're on sort of an insane schedule uh this thing has about two weeks to go from uh the day that we're talking and once it's funded we're like and the money is in my account i'm shipping it off to the printer like that day right. and we're going to have them to debut at spx in september well awesome now that sounds a little bit um, perhaps, uh, you know, a little, a little bit hopeful, uh, but you have done a Kickstarter before. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Ambitious perhaps. Yeah. I mean, we, we basically scheduled it out. Like it, it should work, you know, I mean, mm -hmm. we reserved printer time. They're going to print it. They're going to ship it. Uh, uh, you know, it's, it's a collection of work that's mm -hmm. already been done. Right. So it's right. kind of. I'm not anticipating too many hiccups. Right. Now, but, but but you did a Kickstarter for your own work previously, right? This is your yeah. second Kickstarter? Yeah, that was in 2012, I want to say. Mm -hmm. The book I think the book came out in 2013, but I kickstarted right. in 2012 maybe. Um and that was called Life Begins at Incorporation, which was just a collection of my own work uh and and then I added a bunch of writing to to sort of make it a little bit better than just having a reprint collection. Right. Now did that that give you the confidence to go ahead with this very uh, bold Kickstarter? Yeah, you know, I mean, I was going to do it anyway. I mean, I had sort of wanted to do it, do it at the 1 year mark. Um and so how it works is that I was working at medium and started the nib but i retained ownership of it and so things that kind of fell outside of what they did like mm -hmm. doing a print collection mm -hmm. since they're not a book publisher uh it's just something that i could have done on my own so i was planning on doing one before i i left the company and then it just sort of like i mean we we're publishing so much it was busy it just like kept going on and on and then and then it came to a, a point when I was leaving and I was like, you know, I still want to do this. I'm a special guest at SPX. And if, if I'm going to do this, I have like right. about one week to start this thing and get it finished and get it shipped to SPX. Right. So, uh, so yep. On it went, but, but it is, it is, uh, you know, crowdfunding. I, I, I want to get back to you about, about crowdfunding and Kickstarter, yeah. but, but I think one of the reasons why I really wanted to talk to you is just because you have in your, I mean, you're still a young fella, 
Um, but you you got into this at a very young age, and you it just I guess you've been around for maybe ten years, and and in those ten years, you've really been in the front row for so many changes to the cartoonist's life, and certainly you know the editorial cartoonist's life. But um, you know, <laughs> yeah, no, most of them not positive, but yeah, yeah, but 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 you know, you've you've triumphed. I mean, you know, we were joking on Twitter the other day about how when you got hired at the Nib, I. You know, I had the, the this headline. It's like, you know, cartoonist gets hired for money. And, you know, when you left, uh, I was like, cartoonist leaves paying gig. But, but yeah, I you know, when you started, what were your hopes for a, car- a career as an editorial cartoonist? Um, Way back in the day, 10 years yeah, ago. Yeah, back in the day. It would have been 10 years ago or more, I guess. I was, uh, I'm 31 now. I was, I was 19 when I started. Mm-hmm. I started slowly getting clients and sort of under the impression that I could make my way in the all-weekly world, like uh, the people who had kind of the generation before me, like Tom Tomorrow and all those guys. Um, I think I came around in editorial cartooning at possibly the worst time in history. Like, I think if you were coming up now, Mm -hmm. it it would be a lot better. Like, there's online outlets actually run places, uh, run pieces and pay for them. I mean, this wasn't happening at all in the early 2000s. It was like newspapers were just, like, decimated, the... the web was not paying for content at all. And that's only changed in like the last few years pretty dramatically. You know, there wasn't crowdfunding. Mm -hmm. So the ways to make a living back then were kind of the avenues were a lot more closed off. And there were times when it was like, I don't know if I made the right career choice, but I just sort of like, (laughs) I was, you know, I don't know how to do much else. So I just kind of stuck with it. I think things are a lot better now. Right. Even though, even though I'm unemployed, I, I I chose to be, so I'm sort of feeling hopeful. Were you, you were published originally in the, the remaining alt weeklies and I I imagine you still are, Mm -hmm. right? Are you yeah, I run it. I run it in a handful. Um, mm-hmm. I run. I, I live in Portland, Oregon, and run in the Mercury here. And God, I, I run in a couple others, but I mean, it's it's kind of slim, honestly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, well, did, you know, did you foresee? Uh, did you foresee the the online ve- venue becoming the the more preferable or the more lively venue for for what you were doing uh, i mean you know during this time newspapers and you know it wasn't just all weeklies i mean newspapers were laying off editorial cartoonists in droves yeah well you know i think it depends on when you would have asked me that question in my career i would have given you a bunch of different answers i think i I always saw the potential for it. Whether or not I thought it was ever going to actually happen is a different story. Um, you know, I mean, things are a lot better now. Like I said, sites do pay uh, <clears throat> to run stuff, but you know, we're still not we're, we're still not living in an environment where there are like staff cartoonists who mm-hmm. are hired. I mean, I I sort of got a job um, uh, for this company. It was great, but. You know, now I'm going to try to get another one. So I guess I'm, going to, I'm really going to put it to the test whether or not that was a fluke or whether or not I can right. make this work. Right now, did you uh, when you when you start, but before then the nib, you were doing another project I seem to remember that was another kind of journalistic comic website that I I can't remember. Yeah. I should have looked up the name. No, no, no. I, it's a uh, cartoon movement. Cartoon movement. That's right. That's right. Yeah. So you're kind of warming up for the nib. Yeah, that was a Dutch website that I worked for for, God, how long was that? A year, year and a half? I mean, it wasn't a full-time job or anything, mm-hmm. but yeah, we were doing comics journalism, and it was really cool. I mean, I published a lot of the same people that I ended up publishing at the Nib, like Sarah Glidden and Susie Cagle. Um, but it was just, it was funded with uh, basically seed money from the Dutch government, and they just, you know, 
eventually ran out of money to pay me and right. it just ended. Uh-huh. So this is a kind of a, <laughs> this is the new model. Just do uh, it until they run out of money. <laughs> you know, I mean, I haven't done, um, I haven't done, this is the longest I've ever done a gig. I mean, I was at Medium for a year and a half. I mean, yeah. it's be- before that, it's like, well, I, um, you know, I did War is Boring, which was a graphic novel. And then after that, I did, you know, Cartoon Movement. And then when Cartoon Movement ended, I did my Kickstarter, and I spent six months doing that. And then after that, I was doing some other gigs. Then I got the gig at Medium. I mean, it's just kind of constantly trying to figure out new ways to, like, make money and find a way for someone to pay you. Right. It kind of it gets exhausting. But. Yeah. <laughs> Do you ever look back at, you know, the, the old-timers like Herb Block or whatever? I mean, they got a job and basically, you know, had this... Uh, <laughs> nice comfy chair they went to every day until they pulled the pen from their hands yeah i mean i wouldn't i wouldn't mind that it's not just you know it's it's a little more than a steady job i mean those guys were paid uh extraordinarily well i mean the mm-hmm. reason why the herblock foundation exists is with the you know millions of dollars in endowment and uh 15 grand prize every year is mm-hmm. because this guy left the earth with a lot of money i mean he was given stock options in the company you know in the early days uh and i think that they you know he 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 left the earth a, a right. rich man it's right. like you you know you can't you don't do that anymore as a right cartoonist. right that is definitely especially in editorial cartoons right but but you know there's still the, the guys who have hung on to their jobs in newspapers i mean some of them still make quite good money i mean mm-hmm. when i was when i first learned about it when i was pretty young i was like incredulous i mean some <laughs> of these people are making six figures i mean right. you can't you probably don't want to get a job in a newspaper anymore or you can't get one. But I mean, if, if you had one and you managed to hold on to it through everything and through the recession, like those people are still getting paid well. Right. Right. Well, now when you started at, um, you know, with cartoon movement and then the nib, um, I mean, it does seem like you found this incredibly vibrant, you know, kind of generation of cartoonists who are a little bit champing at the bit really to have their say. I mean, you know, what were, uh, you, you know what? What would? How did you find the talent for the nib? I mean, was it? Was it? You know, were they waiting re- re- to go, or did you know waiting on the vines? You had to develop them, or? I don't think most most I developed at all. I mean, you know, there's sort of people who are who are out there working, like like I mentioned, Sarah Glidden and Susie Cagle, and then the regular lineup of people that we had that were sort of doing shorter strips, like Tom Tomorrow, Rich Stevens, Gemma Carell. I mean, these people are all out there regularly producing work and we either sort of brought in them brought in their regular strip to sort of make it a destination to read that or we had them doing um j- exclusive work and i sort of took people i liked and i tried to sort of with some of them you know push them in a more like topical or socially conscious direction i mean like you have someone like uh like rich stevens who does diesel sweeties like the stuff we were, you know, he does, he does this type of stuff in his regular work, but it was like the stuff he was doing for us is a lot of it had to do with like gaming culture. Like he, he went after the gamer gator people a lot and mm-hmm. just like trying to get that kind of work out of those types of people was sort of my mission. Right. Now, how did the audience respond to this? I mean, I think pretty well, we, you know, mm-hmm. we built up the nib to be pretty well read in a, in a year, year and a half. Mm-hmm. I mean, even early on, we were getting over a million page views a month and that mm-hmm. only increased. I mean, we were one of the most, most read, um, publications on medium. Mm-hmm. So I would say pretty good. I mean, that's the whole, whole reason why I decided to leave and, um, 
trying now to find another publisher for the nib. I mean, mm-hmm. it's basically medium change strategy. They're kind of diminished their publications a lot and it just wasn't going to continue in the same form that it was at all. And Mm -hmm. like the whole weekly lineup was going away and you know, ultimately I owned it and I just think that I think that I can restart it somewhere else. Right. right. Or at least I'm going to, I'm going to try my, try my hardest. Uh, I I mean, I know that there, you, you can't, you know, there's certain things you can't talk about with the medium uh, experience, but uh, how did you get to own it? I mean, was that an easy um, negotiation or <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. What you... I, I think I could, can say, I mean, it's not, it's not super complicated or anything. It's just there. Um, so how it works is that they have in-house publications mm-hmm. like uh, matter, which is, you know, well-read mm-hmm. and then they have, publications that are sort of uh like commissioned that they're right. they're commissioning so uh the archipelago is one of those and i and the nib started out like that so i was just a contractor mm-hmm. and and so i kind of owned it by default but then it just sort of i think i just came around at the right time in the company they were doing a lot of experimental stuff and the nib was the most one of the most successful mm-hmm. publications they were running and they just sort of I convinced him to hire me, basically. <laughs> so when that happened, there was just sort of a, you know, you negotiate your contract. And, and I was just sort of like, you know, I do own the nib, right? And and I did. So, you know, it wasn't, there wasn't really a negotiation or anything. Right, like that. It's right, just right. sort of like put it in writing. Right. And, uh, yeah. That's great. You know, I, I actually did the same thing because the, the beat actually ran on publishersweekly.com for a while there. And, uh, the, you know, during the golden age of blogging and I, I was able to negotiate kind of the same deal where it was a licensing deal. And when it was over, I got it all back. And, um, yeah. you know, you, you shouldn't uh, never be afraid to ask. That's one thing I've learned. Yeah. Well, you know, to their credit, I mean, they've been, they were really cool about that stuff. Mm-hmm. I mean, they gave me complete editorial freedom, a very substantial budget, especially for the comics world. And, you know, and then it's like, I can walk away with the thing at any moment. I mean, so it didn't work out perfectly in the end, but you know, I didn't, I didn't expect it to last forever mm-hmm. anyway. So it, it, you know, the way it went down, it's fine. Yeah. Well, you know, it seems like the modern day dream job is instead of, you know, the comfy chair of her block, it's uh, <laughs> jumping from a series of well-funded startups. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and maybe right. getting the stock option that takes yeah. you to the moon, baby. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Start- uh, the foundation after you die yeah what do you think though i mean what it's it's funny that we talk about these people you know the remaining editor or cartoonists making what we would consider a very good living from their work which is you know in their heyday would have only been seen in the newspaper and you know the transport medium for it would have been you went to somebody's house and it had been clipped and and put yeah. on the refrigerator or perhaps over the copy machine and um, you know, nowadays, I mean, I was just, I saw a piece that you had brought on the nib that was by um, uh, Ruben Balling that was, you know, Richard Scarry's modern day jobs. And, yeah. you know, I mean, I saw, I saw Whit Taylor had shared it and then I shared it. And I mean, you know, that, you talk about, you know, going viral. I mean, uh, you know, yeah. now things can be seen millions of times. Yeah. And, for free. Yeah. Trying to figure out how to monetize that is the uh, the the struggle. I mean, you know, 
I don't, I don't, I don't have any answers. I haven't figured it out yet. Other than that, when your stuff is popular online and you get enough Twitter followers and invest all this time in building up your online presence or whatever you want to call it, that you can hopefully turn that into something at some point, right. like selling all these people a book. So, right. but yeah, I mean, I think that part of the reason we had success in the Nib is that comics, editorial cartoons, but just comics in general. I mean, it, it's these things are can be like extraordinarily popular online and we haven't we still like haven't really seen a place come out that's like the nexus for for right. for comics and i mean i at least wanted the nib to be the place to go to see a certain certain kind of comic but mm-hmm. but you know you have like 10,000 sites that sort of have all of the you know identical content of like mm-hmm. posting uh, you know, John Oliver's latest takedown video every Monday morning, right, which is right, like a right. uh, media ritual. And then, so I still sort of like have some faith that original, original content, as we call it, I've kind of just acquiesced to the word content at this point, And I just call my work content. Yes. yes. <laughs> so, content makers. That's... I used to, I used to hate that and resist it, but now I'm just like, yeah, I make content, whatever. Yeah. Sometimes you gotta just go with the flow. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I... I don't know. It's a very paradoxical, it's definitely a paradoxical time. Um, you know, what about your own cartooning? Now, you know, obviously you've had this great success at Cartoon Movement and then, you know, the NIM putting together uh, these fantastic teams. But, you know, what about your own cartooning? I mean, have you found that it's it's been difficult to keep up with uh, during this or easier? or? Uh, no, I would say difficult in the, because running the NIB is sort of, uh, well, it was more than a full-time job, which is why I eventually hired Larry Harris to help me as an editor and then Matt Lipchansky who was sort of working uh, half time to do stuff too I mean so the whole time I'm working at Medium you know I'm working working pretty long hours mm-hmm. and um, yeah just you know I have to at least do a weekly which is sort of what I've the various points in my career depending on my other workload it's like I've, been, I've done three a week two a week you know I've been down to one I'd love to get back up to doing more but it's like i need a i need a full-time job for that it's Mm -hmm. so right so the only thing you know my my work did uh i wouldn't say it suffered but it did i I couldn't get to do some of the other things that i that i wanted to do which is like kind of the stuff that i'm publishing you know longer form comics journalism and essays i mean i in some ideal world there'd be more than 24 hours a day and i could do some of that stuff myself but then when when we have a budget you know, you you want a topic to be covered, or it's a lot easier mm-hmm. to just assign it. So right. I, I feel I don't feel bad about it. I mean, I got uh, I was able to have more work created than you know I ever thought I would I would get to do. And I mean, that, I think that's a fine trade off for like not being able to do as much of my own work as I would prefer. Right, right. Well, you certainly did. I mean, there's so many comics that um, you know would be lighting up my Twitter feed or, you know, lighting up my inbox and, uh, you know, certainly, you know, Ron Wumberley's comic about, about his work at the mm-hmm. big two or, um, you know, the one about, uh, being, you know, Saturday morning, uh, my rapist called me that one also, um, so many, so many of them were so powerful. Yeah. Yeah. Those two in particular were, uh, were really big, probably two of the biggest. They're definitely going in, in the book and, and yeah, you know, we were, I, I miss it a little bit because we were publishing work like that um, basically on a weekly basis. Right. So, but uh, things, you know, there's been sort of, 
I had to kind of tell all the contributors that it was ending and it sucked and everybody was, you know, not feeling that right. obviously. And, and, but I've, you know, I, I can't say anything cause I don't know for sure, but like I'm trying to, I'm talking to some publishers and I feel, I feel pretty good that like in the fall or at least in the new year that like I'm trying to get the nib back to somewhere like where it was and relaunch mm -hmm. and be publishing every day. And, I think that I think that's going to happen. Well, all right. Well, that's that's uh, that's definitely good good news. Um, what I mean, yeah. I mean, are there any topics? Uh, you know, we, we've certainly. I I just actually was um, talking to Whit Taylor earlier today, and, and oh, yeah. you know, yeah, we were just catching up on on some stuff, and and you know, of course, we were talking about the outrage, the outrage cycle, and the you know the news cycle. I mean, mm. um, yeah, you know, I actually saw. Uh, some people criticizing the nib for not being like on the minute of the outrage cycle. I mean, you know, and I've had that too. It's like sometimes people are like, like, you know, this is happening now. Why aren't you doing something now? And I'm like, well, I need a little time to digest this. And yeah, I mean, do you ever feel like it's gotten too accelerated or? Yeah, I mean, the, on the one hand, Maybe I'm participating in outrage culture a little bit because I'm, you know, often doing cartoons about what someone said that's outrageous. I mean, my late, my latest editorial cartoon is about Mike Huckabee bit saying that the Iran deal is Obama marching Jews to the door of the oven, mm -hmm. you know. Yeah. Uh, and maybe our time would be better spent talking about other things, right? Mm -hmm. But, but yeah, I mean, I kind of get burned out by the outrage, outrage cycle a lot. I mean, if you spend too much time on Twitter, I think it, it kind of warps your perception of what, what is actually important to most right. people uh, on earth or in the country. <laughs> um, but I don't know. I mean, I kind of get, you, I, you get criticized. I always get criticized for the type of work I do from one angle or another. And then once I started publishing stuff at the NIV, I mean, it would, it would just get that times, times 10, you know, you know, there's cartoonists even who are, you know, don't like stuff I'm publishing who want to like rebut it there's there's people who are saying why are we covering this issue not the other issue I mean you just try to do yeah. as good as you can which I think I think we did a pretty good job but you know we're not we never purported to be a, a comprehensive news site either it's sort of like you go with the ideas you have and the pitches that you get right right uh, you know, one of the also really awesome uh, things that you did was there was a whole section on Charlie Hebdo um, was that, you know, hard to put together or, you know, do people, you have people lining up or? No, it, it, that was a, a substantial undertaking. I mean that, you know, I'm, I'm real proud of that package and it, it's sort of, you know, represents not just because it was about Charlie Hebdo and about, uh, an issue that's really important in cartooning, but it was sort of, you know, it wasn't us just printing stuff that, that came to us or that mm. people pitched. I mean, it was like we, we conceived of it and up, we approached basically everyone in there and sort of talked to them and try to get some pitches from people about what they want to talk about and like try to get, you know, we got two, two Muslim cartoonists, one in Qatar and one in Australia, basically talking about the cartoons are racist and Islamophobic. You know, we got one person, JJ McCullough, even, basically criticizing editorial cartooning in general and saying it's kind of garbage and trash because everybody mm. is doing all those, you know, free speech pencil cartoons in the aftermath right. of it. Right. So, you know, I mean, that was a example of where I would say 
that came out a week after, and we all we did for a week is basically work on this. I mean, we were working on it up to the last minute, trying to pull it all together, and you know, getting I don't know. You've worked with cartoonists, yeah. I mean, getting <laughs> getting seven people around the world in seven different time zones to turn in and to write and draw and essays and turn them in in seven days is mm-hmm. uh, a, a a feat. So I don't mind patting myself on the back for that. But yeah, you should. But um, but I felt like that was a good example of like what what cartooning can do and like add to a conversation because after it was just like nonstop takes for like weeks, everybody publishing takes and articles all the time. And, you know, I think I would put what I would put what we did basically up against anything that came out of that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Especially since it was, uh, you know, covering it from the cartoonist perspective indeed. And, uh, yeah, it's been a weird year, hasn't it? It's a sad, terrible year in so many ways. Um, but um, that certainly kicked it off. You know, another topic that you, you've covered, which uh, certainly me being an old fart have really, really appreciated, was, uh, you know, a lot of cartoons about millennials. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Such, I guess you are one yourself, but... Uh, yeah, I'm an early... Uh, I'm 31, so right, I'm, right. I'm early millennial. Yes, you're But, the... you know, I mean, I, I don't even identify with these younger ones now. It's like a <laughs> micro-generation. Yes, uh, yes. The, there's, uh, yes, there's the... Uh, the <laughs> I can't even... You know, electro-millennials, and then there's the IDM millennials, and, the, yeah. you know, the you know, Ibiza millennials, yeah. I only specifically identify with people who did not have smartphones and Facebook in high school, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, how do you deal with that, though? You know, how do you deal with the complete? I, I, I've been talking to a bunch of people lately, and it, uh, it, it seems like people who did grow up with that, they, they don't have concerns about free speech per se. You know, they were more worried about the message itself. Yeah. I, I don't know. I mean, it's I don't know. I guess is my answer. Um, <laughs> Wise answer. <laughs> I'm not sure what the latest, uh, what the polls say. I mean, I, I don't know if it's just a result of being younger and sort of not being as concerned with that yet, or if there is some sort of like generational shift, you know, I don't know I, because I feel like people kind of, they might share a lot or be online more or whatever, but I feel like people are concerned, but sort of, you know, with with their privacy of like whatever mm-hmm. they're not sharing their, with their private life, you know. Right, I mean, we, right, right. A lot of us, you know, we all have uh, sex and dick pics on our phones <laughs> that we don't want. Uh, we don't want out in the world. We don't want doxxed. Right. <laughs> it's kind of right. remarkable that it doesn't happen. Doesn't happen more than it does. Right. Right. Yeah. Especially with Gabrygate going around and yeah. you know poking into everybody's business who yeah. uh, called because you did some Gamergate stuff actually. You did some. You know, addressed it. Yeah. And, uh, so, but you were not touched, you were unscathed. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I guess now that you say that, I do remember I did a Gamergate comic that they did not like. And, uh, uh, you know, they did like remixes of it where they like replaced the words. And I I thought it was kind of hilarious, but they were clearly apoplectic about it. But I didn't get anything approaching the level of what a lot of the harassment a lot of people got uh, coming out of that, you know. 
you know, here's here's a question um, that might get you in trouble. So, uh, right. or probably if anybody quotes it, it'll be this, but uh, maybe not. But uh, you know, uh, the nib definitely had a. I think it's safe to say it had a liberal bent, and I think it's safe to say that your cartoons have a pretty liberal uh, left left wing slant. So, yeah. and there's often a talk. You know, why isn't there a right wing Daily Show or you know right wing? Uh, comic section that really takes off. <laughs> yeah. Any thoughts on that? God, you know, I think that there there probably could be. I don't know. Um, I mean, I think for one, it's just like I think there's a lot of layers to that. Like for various reasons, I think like conservatism just doesn't lend itself to to satire as well. I mean, I think it just does produce. You know, and then you have a layer of like people who are inclined to be artist types or go mm-hmm. into cartooning. And then it's like younger people in general, you know, younger people in general and not people who think gays shouldn't get married and that mm-hmm. global warming doesn't exist. So like, you know, you're eliminating a lot of, a, a lot of kinds of people who, who would be conservatives, but you know, I think there's still a lot of older conservative political cartoonists. And I mean, you hear from someone like Daryl Cagle who syndicates this stuff that like, you know, that, they're they're popular and make a lot and make more money because they're splitting the pie uh, mm-hmm. less ways with liberal cartoonists. So uh-huh. it's like papers that want conservative cartoonists have sort of a smaller pool to choose from, but there's still a decent amount of them. Mallard but, Mallard Fillmore. Yeah, you know we ran JJ uh, McCullough's stuff, who's who's fairly conservative. I mean mm-hmm. he's sort of he's sort of this funny um, mishmash of things because he's like a gay center right Canadian. Um, who's obsessed with American politics. Mm-hmm. Um, and like the, the essays he did for us were not as explicitly political, but he did a lot of editorial cartoons that were conservative and a lot of people hated them. He's like, our, he was our resident conservative for a while. <laughs> Your very own Sean Combs, our Combs, yeah. Alan Combs. Yeah. Um, have you ever, have there ever been something that, you know, maybe politically you didn't agree with, but you thought it was so funny you had to publish? Well, I mean, JJ's work mm-hmm. would, would fall under stuff I, di- I didn't agree with. I mean, I, I have no problem publishing stuff that I disagree with. I actually th- think that um, a lot of people do these days. I mean, they don't even want to encounter something that's sort of like different or challenges them or is even like politically opposed to the way that they think. And I think it, it's just like way too easy to, to live in an echo chamber online. Mm-hmm. Um I don't know. I mean, an editorial cartooning is so sort of like antagonistic and combative that it's like if you only want to read stuff that you entirely agree with, you know, it's not going to be that interesting. So I think with with stuff, I mean, there were a couple pieces that people objected to like so strongly that it just sort of like blew me away. I mean, I think it's certainly fine to to object to a piece, but they, they almost sort of like expect to you know not have encountered it or that you should never have printed it and i just kind of don't understand that mindset right right now do you uh i mean i i think when when cartoon movement was starting like you were doing some kind of experimental comics i remember there was one that was kind of um like um a panorama i guess you could say that kind of showed the shooting do you know what i'm talking about or no yeah. Maybe that, yeah okay well there was a uh there was a piece by Dan Archer that was like a, a, a an interactive timeline, basically. Yes, yes, yes. Square shooting. Yes, that's the one I'm talking about. Yeah, 
So, uh, I, I mean, I thought that was, I mean, there was kind of this time when people were trying a lot of that stuff. And it seems to me that in a way, it's kind of, that kind of, uh, not as much experimentation, maybe just because it didn't always work, or maybe it's very expensive. I don't, I don't know. Well, yeah. yes. well, I think it's, it's, it's time and skill intensive. I mean, mm -hmm. I, the, we did a couple of different pieces at Cartoon Movement that had like these fabulous multimedia elements, and they had nothing to do with any skill set that I have. Mm -hmm. um, it had to do with skills that Dan Archer and Dan Carino and other people uh, brought to the table. And I think it's just, you know, cartooning is like you're already sort of dealing with a bunch of different skill sets like writing and drawing and storytelling. And then it's like now you have to learn how to like code a multimedia thing. I mean, it's just... I, you know, I don't know how to animate. I don't know how to do a lot of the multimedia stuff. I, I, but I think one of the reasons it hasn't caught on is is because we're shifting to a landscape now where it's it's like phone driven. I mean, mm -hmm. that's kind of that. I mean, that interests me a lot. I mean, that's we were designing every, um, everything we could on at Medium to be read on mobile. I mean, mm -hmm. the mobile phone is essentially like the new page, right? I mean, I even get frustrated with my own my own work because now when I'm only doing one cartoon a week, it has to be the comic that fits fits in the slots that newspapers have for me. So I feel like restrained by this 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 spatial constraint that is mm -hmm. is is from like a a past where you know it's not really providing me with like full time income and not reaching as many people, but I still ha I still have to do it, or I'm going to like lose all those clients, but. Yeah, having your comics be able to be read on a phone now, I think, is, like, extremely important. And kind of a lot of cartoonists haven't really absorbed that. And a lot of a lot of websites haven't even absorbed that lesson yet. I mean, if you're pinching and zooming on a comic on a phone, you've, like, that's wrong, right? Oh. Like, I mean, I, I, think, I think it is. It's a horrible reading experience. Like, what we were doing was, we, and this is partially because we had, like, you know, these great engineers working at medium who were able to design this thing but like this system where you could upload the panels and it would be like you'd be looking at a tom tomorrow cartoon and it's six panels three right. panels across right then on the phone it stacks vertically right right and i mean that shouldn't be as revolutionary as it is but when the difference in the reading experience is just like you know gargantuan right, so that's right. that's that's like a design thing of like taking a comic and then figuring out how to make it read well on mobile but i want to like I want to actually design things to be read on mobile, you know, like panels that are the size of phones and stuff. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think that that's kind of like if I can convince someone to uh, do what I want to do with the nib, I mean, that's kind of what I want to do with, with editorial cartooning. I mean, you were talking earlier about the newspaper and that was the vehicle before for, for editorial cartooning. And bef even before the internet and everything else, it's like you had to be there. You had to go to your friend's house. You had to see a clipping of it at work. And like the the phone is the new that right like, right so so I don't know I mean we're, I think we're we're only at the beginning of like cartoonists even attempting to work work in that way because mm -hmm. it's so new and everyone still sort of designs for like the A four page right right yeah it is it is um, you know I I think even you know everybody's been talking about mobile and and even I am like oh but you know it looks so crappy and then I'm like wait a minute what do I do all day oh shit yeah. well, <laughs> you know that's that's part of the reason why there's so much like there's so much of a a race on for like content wars and so much money in media right now it's like mm -hmm. people are reading 
more than ever. I mean, they're at least poking around the web more than ever, you know, because they're they're not just like on laptops. They're like every spare moment they're looking on mm-hmm. their phone. I mean, I know I am. Right. Right. So. Yeah. Yeah. You, you know, guilty as charged. Yeah. Um, you know, aside from that, aside from uh, that, which is actually really fascinating, um, technical like hopes for the next version of the nib. I mean, is there anything else that that you know you can tell us that you have, um, you know, uh, hopes or or uh, you know checklist, bucket list, or um, topics? Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I would love for the nib to be back up and running as a daily publication, mm-hmm. uh, like it was, in one of the components. I would love to ultimately see from that is like a, is a print magazine. I mean, I'd still, despite me sitting here talking about phones being the future, I mean, I still think that like print is a great way to read things and deliver things and, and also actually get, create like a revenue system. Mm-hmm. I mean, 5,000 people who will subscribe to your magazine is a lot more valuable than 5,000 eyeballs that mm-hmm. land on it. I mean, getting 5,000 eyeballs on a, on a comic or a site is nothing. I mean, it's right. like, worthless so yeah. um but beyond that i mean it's just like i like print i'm sort of like a magazine fetishist i mean i subscribe to and read a ton of them um and i would you know so that's it's sort of like a thing that you know even if i don't land another publisher I, you know i might have to just like try it on my own sometime to do like the nib as a quarterly or something has always been something that i've envisioned uh-huh. Do you think the co- like the content changes as it's in goes from print or online or? Uh, I mean, maybe the format changes, mm-hmm. but I mean the content itself, I don't think changes. Right, I think right. I, I think I would you know publish the same type of stuff. I mean, have um, nonfiction comics, comics journalism, essays, and you know a section of strips that are more like political cartoons. I mean, just. It would just be like a little package that's the name. Right. Are there any uh, young cartoonists that you think haven't, you know, haven't gotten their due that you'd want to give a shout out to or, you know, like here's who to watch? Oh, uh, boy. Yeah. Uh, that's a good question. I should uh, I should be more prepared for that because... I worked with so many people uh-huh. at the nib, you know, I gotta, I gotta, I don't want to forget anybody. Well, yeah. one, I don't know if he's super young. I mean, Matt Lipchansky is who I work with, uh, a lot on the nib. I mean, he's still working with me, helping me, uh, helping me do the Kickstarter. Uh-huh. Uh, I find him to be a really funny cartoonist. I mean, he does, um, he does sort of like random humor stuff, but he also does a lot of topical and political stuff. I sort of pushed him to do more political stuff. Um, at the nib and he actually wrote a few of my comics recently because I was like traveling and quitting my job and was like in deadline hell. And I just was like, if you help me, uh, <laughs> I mean, I paid him a little bit and he, he like wrote some comics. So it was kind of cool to collaborate with him. So I, you know, oops. Oh, Oh, we got music playing. Is yeah. Sorry outro? about that. Yes. There you go. No, that was sorry about that. Yeah. Well, uh, but, uh, you mentioned Whit Taylor earlier. Wit Wit is, is very cool. I um, worked with her a little bit on this thing before I left. It's called The Response, mm-hmm. which was sort of um, this like spinoff of the nib uh, <laughs> that was that ran for like a month. And it, it had these like cartoonists of color sort of talking about social issues. And a lot of a lot of the um, cartoonists in there are actually uh, really good and I think can end up doing a lot of work. There's some young people that I worked with. I mean, I think Wit is fairly young and uh, Richie Pope and Shannon Wright um, are, you know, doing some pretty, some pretty interesting work that I think 
Right, right. Purpose. Yeah. Well, there's certainly no dearth of, of you know, amazing voices around. Um, yeah. Would you, uh, t if you were sitting there uh, and, you know, with your 18-year-old self, would you say go into comics? Yeah, I mean, um, I mean, I wouldn't, I don't know if I'd say that or if I wouldn't say that to anyone, you know, it's sort of like, it depends on what level we're talking. Are we talking about wise career choices? You know, I don't think I'd recommend it to someone for for a stable money making career. But like the type of person who's going to be a cartoonist for a living is, like, not going to listen to that, right? right. Like, so it's, so it's kind of like if you go if you if you have to do this, then you have to, you know. Mm -hmm. So I, I would not discourage anyone who's who has that mindset, right? Right, right. And I don't think anyone who doesn't have that mindset is, frankly, likely to make it work because it's it can be difficult. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it is. I, I, I mean, I see that so much. I mean, I, I do feel there, there have been a lot of triumphalism posts and, you know, I've done a couple uh -huh. myself just because I, I, you know, when I first, uh, crazy, I don't know, when I first started reading about comics and started, you know, writing about them, I just had this crazy idea that it should be everything and every, everybody would read comics and, yeah. you know, there'd be yeah. genres and, and I mean, I, you know, I just had this crazy idea, and this is definitely the closest it's ever come to this, this view that I had. And um, you know, but it's still, it's, <laughs> it is still the the old, uh, you know, micros. You know how right he was with his micro payments, Scott McCloud. <laughs> <laughs> but you know yeah. what you did not foresee was that there would only be ten of the micro payments and not ten million. <laughs> yeah, no, that's funny. I haven't. I, I, that book actually I found really inspiring because mm -hmm. it was I read it when it came out, which I was in college, and was like, yeah, like the future online is going to be awesome. In some ways, it has been, but right. um, I, I, I kind of I, I would be interested in going back and rereading that book now and seeing how some of those ideas hold up. Yeah, yeah, I, I think uh, again the one that always sticks in my head is the is the uh, microframes and also where you know the uncanny valley and the. Um, you know about symbol the symbolism how people uh how people connect with with uh you know with drawings the more simplified mm -hmm. they are and which to me is so powerful and so true and and i don't you know i i don't know sometimes i look at people with this art obviously not editorial cartoonists but you know this hyper realistic art and i'm just like you know what are you trying to do right now buddy <laughs> well you know when you said that i was just thinking to myself i I mean, I guess I have a cartoony style, but I wouldn't say it's too simplistic and sort of, you know, maybe maybe you can cut down the labor um, mm -hmm. about thirty percent of the, your labor time drawing more simply and, and connect with people easier. I think I should I should probably have developed a a much easier style. Yeah. I mean, when I when I look at someone like Joe Sacco and his work, I don't know how he does that. Where he's like not even uh, you know he's not even shading digitally. He's like right. drawing t ten thousand like parallel lines. And you're just like, oh man, this guy's like. <laughs> uh -huh, right. I don't think. I mean, I don't. I don't think people draw it like that anymore. Like like Robert Crumb and Joe Sacco, sort of, and like yeah. that that crazy intensive, like shading that takes forever. I mean, I don't see a lot of people doing that. Yeah, you know what? It's funny though. When I was at SVA recently for their 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 day, I mean, you know, there I I, I saw some one kid who had like the the actual drawing. He or she actually, I think she did. And then she had the the digital, you know, final, and I was like, "Wow, are you? It's, 
you know, yeah, you don't need to actually sit there with a pen and pencil. You just have your little brush with, you know, Tony Millionaire brush. Yeah, let's use that. <laughs> and then you know who, who still does a lot of that is that kind of work is Ed Piscor. Like he has really yes. detailed, like uh, line work and in, in his stuff. I mean, he's very influenced by like Robert Crumb and them. Oh love, yeah, totally. Yeah, he's great. And I mean, he still manages to do it every week too. I, I was asking him about that actually yeah. on a panel and. You know, he was just saying that, uh, you know, it's the kind of job that he really wants to have. So, yeah, it's hard to discourage you cartoonists, (laughs) nor should we, because it's wonderful. You know, I should say, Matt, I I find your style very, very engaging and also transparent. I feel like you have a cartooning style that when I look at it, it, it's the idea comes through first, if that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, which I, I find very powerful. It's almost, I, I used to say this to, to some of the people who did illustrations for me. It's like, you know, I had an idea in my mind and you drew what the art director was thinking. And that was, for that reason, you will always get work, <laughs> Yeah, you know, but, um, but yeah, it's, it's, I definitely, you know, get a chuckle and a thought, uh, from reading your stuff. So. Cool. Well, that's uh, what I'm, I'm trying to do most of the yeah. time. All right. I'm, I'm one last question, then I'm going to let you go. Now, you did a graphic novel at one time, uh, which was with David Axe, actually, wasn't it? Yeah. You yeah. Did you write that? You wrote it, right? No, no. He wrote it. I ah, drew it. Ah, okay. And what was the title of it? War is Boring. War is Boring. That's right. And it was um, it was about the Gulf War, too. Uh, somewhat. It yeah. was about basically him being a war correspondent and going to a bunch of different war zones. So it's like each chapter was a different one. So it's like, right. you know, rocks in there, but also, uh, Somalia, East Timor, Afghanistan, right. Lebanon, etc. So would you consider doing long form comics again? Oh yeah. I mean, it's been, you know, it's kind of weird now that I'm, I guess we're, we're, you know, 10 years into my career here. It's just, you know, I've, gone in a direction that just sort of like one thing led to another and I've had good opportunities but like one of the things that just like didn't happen really is like me doing a lot of long form work or books that I originally wanted to do I mean I'm known for doing these like real short editorial cartoons but I have you know a lot of desire to do long form journalism and in graphic novels it's just they're kind of only so many hours in a day or a week and I'm already maxing them out. So, mm-hmm. you know, I, what I'm going to do right now is like run with the nib. I mean, I, the reason, one of the reasons why I left medium is like we had this momentum and so many people reading the site and I want to like, I really want to keep it going and like convince another publisher to, to back this thing and actually create a publication, one that is sustainable and isn't mm-hmm. just underwritten by um, venture capital money. So, uh, you know, I mean, I'm st- I still have time to do like the graphic novel later, so I think I'll I think I'll like get to all the things. You know, I'll I, I said earlier I wanted to do the nib quarterly. I want to do my own graphic novels. Uh, we'll see how we'll see how much of this I get to, but mm-hmm. you know, I, I feel like I have uh, I have some time left. Well, you've already accomplished quite a bit, and I think there's quite a bit more to be done. So, uh, well, we look forward very much to the uh, return of the nib, and also if you go to Kickstarter right now. Uh, you can support this 300-page collection of the best of Nib uh, V1, and uh, it is some of the best cartooning of the past couple of years, absolutely without question. So um, please go check that out. You know, there's a lot of great rewards on there, and uh, I think you know this 300-page book will be uh, a very exciting thing to have in your coffee table, so <laughs> and yeah. to and to read. So. 
Well, Matt, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us. And yeah, thanks a lot. Yeah, and um, you know, we'll see you at SBX, and uh, as usual, there will be more to come. All right, thanks. <laughs>